Hey everyone, Conrad here. This episode of the spin-off Doctors you're about to listen to has some really awful audio on my end, but the shame of releasing it still feels better than being faced with talking about Monster Hunter again, so here it is. Thanks for even attempting to listen. No one knows our pain. Podcast. Right. How do we How do, do, we this? do Oh God! <laughs> See, I've I've done podcasts before, right? But have I ever have I ever done a, a video game licensed movie podcast before? It doesn't feel like it, right? This feels like yeah. new ground. Is Laura supposed to be here? Is Jonathan supposed to be here? Like, like, what's the thing we do where it's like? Me on the podcast, right? Right. And you on the podcast, right? And a subject. What is that one? Oh, I, oh, that might be the spinoff doctors. <gasps> I remember the spinoff doctors. <laughs> I haven't heard that name in a long, long time. Your uncle and I used to record spinoff doctors. Back then, we did it for the Maharaja. <laughs> My uncle just died two weeks ago. Huh? My uncle just died two weeks ago. I hadn't mentioned that to you. Oh. <laughs> and and, and is thematically relevant to this episode, actually. We will get into it. Well, I did feel dead when I watched it, <laughs> if, if that's the relevance. Uh-huh. Um, hello, everyone. By the way, it is me, James Stephanie Sterling. I... If I'm correct, I wasn't going by that name when we last did a spin-off Doctors. It's true. Well, no, I think I think I think we have once done one. Yeah. Cuz I was like, have I done an entire transition since we last fucking Yeah, because we we had one where we started at uh, movie Amaps. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. But yeah. it was right at the beginning, I think. Pretty early, yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah, I think it's been a, almost a year, if not a year. A long, long time. But it's really good to just do a wizened old, like, grandpa voice. Isn't it, though? Like, like the kind of voice you have if your, like, grandson finds something in, in the attic. Right. You blow the dust off it and you're like, oh, no, there's a very interesting story attached to that podcast, young Malcolm Sonson. Malcolm Simpson? Mitroff. <laughs> Mitroff. Young Mitroff. <laughs> Come sit oh. on my knee, Mitroff, and I shall tell you tales from long ago. Um, it's turning into a different voice now. Um, for those of you who don't know, Adam Tierney, video game developer, pays celebrities on Cameo. And, and, and children's book author now, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, of course, yes. Yes, I believe... I can't remember if I contributed to the audio... I think I've contributed to the audio book of one of Adam's books. But yes, um, author and uh, game developer Adam Tierney um, pays celebrities via Cameo to talk about Conrad and my son, Mitroff, <laughs> who has had all sorts of adventures. The last one I remember was Malcolm McDowell um, talking to us about Mitroff's graduation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this this podcast is dedicated... Uh, this episode today is dedicated to Mitroff, who has done just so much. I wish I wish we could have dedicated a better movie to Mitroff. I wish we could just not. <laughs> we, I, I wish having seen... Right, here's the thing, right, folks? 
the Monster Hunter movie is, is just shit. Like, let's not even make any bones about it. It's shit, right? It really is. It's not even a complete movie. No. No. And I've watched it, right? Yeah. And here's here's how these podcasts normally go, right? I need rankling. Sure. I am whimsical, fanciful. I float hither and thither from scheme to plot to adventure, even. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm a, a, a carefree moon kissed child. That's me. Footloose and fancy free. Footloose and fancy free, as a union buster would say, right? I need wrangling. I my memory is shot. My attention is bad. It's hard for me to remember things, commit to things, do things, have a job. It's the only reason I've not been fired from the this one I have. And believe you me, I've been tempted to fire myself a few times. So what normally happens is, you know, Conrad will watch the movie. Conrad will have the notes and will then wait for me to watch the movie. Yeah. For God knows how long. I will just need reminding. I'll need to A, remember and B, be in the right frame of mind because, you know, yeah, my brain just doesn't work. Um, Typically. I watched this months ago. Yeah. I watched this maybe half a year ago or whatever the hell it was, right? It was in November. Yeah, like four months ago. In November. I watched it in November and have been waiting ever since. And one of the reasons I'm sad about doing this podcast is I now have to relinquish that. (laughs) And I have to relinquish the joy of having been the one who had seen the movie and was ready to go. (laughs) Now we're back to even Stevens. And next time I'm going to drop the ball again. But for four beautiful blessed ones, dear listener, I had the ball. I had, I had the ball, young Mitroff. Uh, yeah. 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 And, and I said, I joked sort of over the, the past few months, I joked that, you know, well, I'm never going to go watch that again. It was so bad. Yeah. I, I was serious. I was serious. I've not watched it again. No, yeah. That's not a joke. This is going to be an interesting podcast because I don't remember anything, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I don't feel like anything in the film happened. So I'm feeling like remembering nothing about Monster Hunter is going to be no impediment to talking about the Monster Hunter movie. I, I mean, yeah. I I think you're mostly right about that. I, I don't think it's it's going to have much of an effect. Here's what I remember. Yeah, please. Mila Jovovich. Right. Mediocre singer. I mean, it wasn't technically a song, but they still managed to make it sound like bad whatever it was, right? It was, uh, you know, military chanting, sure. Like military chant. Like, mediocre military chanter, which takes some doing. Uh, I remember that despite having so many monsters to draw from throughout the Monster Hunter series of games, they focused mostly on shitty little spiders. Uh, I remember them going for a buddy dynamic mm-hmm. with uh, a na- with a you know character native to that Monster Hunter world. Mm-hmm. In the, a, com- a comedy in the style of Rush Hour. A comedy in the style of Rush Hour, indeed. I remember Ron Perlman. Mm-hmm. And I remember the one good scene in the film, which lasted like less than 30 seconds, because it was just copied straight from Monster Hunter. It was one of the the Palico's cooking. That's all I really remember. I remember, because I watched it with Phoenix, and I remember Phoenix being very annoyed that after the military vehicle gets swept around in the sandstorm that takes them to Monster Hunter World, uh, they got out, like immediately were getting out through like, like not staying within the frame of the vehicle. Um, which isn't safe, apparently. 
So, it, okay, here's the inexplicable thing about this movie. Yeah. Is that despite the fact that you are correct, literally nothing happens in it. And you have basically described everything that should stand out in anybody's mind about this movie. Somehow my notes for this are a page longer than the average. Oh, no. I don't want this to be two hours. No, no. I want to get back to Elton Ring. It it will not be. It will not be two hours because literally nothing happens. But there are just a few oddities. Okay. We should probably just get into this nonsense and not belabor it. Yeah, I'm going to just climb down from my panic attack. (laughs) Let's do it then. I'm not even sure how it happened. (laughs) If I'm honest, like I'm baffled, but we'll do. We'll do it. Monster Hunter, the official movie of the official game. Yes. So after a full minute of partner splashes, that being uh, Sony, Screamgen's, Constantin Film, Tencent Pictures, Toho, and Digital Pictures, then we get credits. Yeah, they're not my my favorite kind of partner splashes. <laughs> hey oh. Right? Do you get it? I got you. It's about decorating people with cum. Your quote about worlds other than ours, presented with a desert landscape on which a sailboat is coasting towards a tower where there's lightning... Ron Perlman is on board, looking interested and concerned. I couldn't tell it was Ron Perlman at first. I was like, it wasn't until he showed up later that I was like, oh, it was Ron Perlman. Because I watched it and I was like, is that Ron Perlman? And Phoenix was like, I don't know, because Phoenix doesn't follow media, really. It's funny how Ron Perlman appears in this bit, but I completely forgot about his presence on here. So when he showed up later, I was like, what, Rod Perlman just fucking appeared? <laughs> and it wasn't until I went back and watched, you know, to take notes, I was like, oh, no, he was he was here at the beginning. I just thought Rod Perlman appeared out of nowhere, like manifested. I mean, isn't that the dream? Yeah. I would love that if I was just going about my Stephanie business, right? Just, just pottering around town. Mm-hmm. And then just every now and then, Rod Perlman just sort of phased in and out of existence. <laughs> Didn't do anything. Just flickered, and there he was, and then just gone again in a flash, and I'd just be like, thank you for being there, Ron Perlman. That'd be nice. I'd like it. I feel like it'd make things better. Anyway. So Ron Perlman looks interested and concerned in this about this uh, storm thing, and a dude is carving a bone knife, and then the ship gets attacked by something in the sand, a bunch of people die, and knife-carving dude gets thrown off into the sand. Fair enough. Cool. Cut to a Coca-Cola can. So now we know something I, we can identify. This is clearly our world. Yeah. Because there's a Coca-Cola can. Because there's a, a blatant product placement. That's how we know. And also the text appears on the screen that says our world. <laughs> <laughs> our world. <laughs> no faith whatsoever in their ability to convey the visual language to the audience. They had to put a title over it. Right. I love it because it puts down their ability to visually communicate and our ability to visually infer. Like, yeah, yeah, they're not going to be able to tell us. We're not going to be able to understand them. No faith in anyone in this transaction. (laughs) God, I hate this film. (sighs) We are introduced to uh, Captain Alice, as I'm going to call her. Fair enough. Uh, I believe we do get told her name is Artemis. I'm not sure when. I know it comes up in like the last 20 minutes of the film. Oh, yeah. She was called Artemis because you can play her like 
for a period of time, you could play as her in Monster Hunter World. Oh. Um, they did a little, like, uh, crossover, so they had some, like, a couple of Monster Hunter missions where you play as Artemis. Hmm. Yeah, it was rubbish. Yeah, well, that's unsurprising under the, you know, circumstances, considering the source material. Yeah, I like the Monster Hunter games, you know? Mm-hmm. I like them a lot. I have very, very limited experience with them. I played one of the ones on PSP, I think. Oh, yeah. For, like, 20 minutes on a flight. And I played the demo that was on Switch for, was it Rise? Rise, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just to, yeah, to get my feelings on Monster Hunter out of the way, uh, I don't get it. I spent a long time not getting it. I don't know what changed when I picked up Monster Hunter World for the second time. It took me a long time, but I've played many um, portable ones, console ones. I've played many Monster Hunter games over the years and never got it, never understood um, I liked games that were sort of based on it, like Soul Sacrifice I used to really yeah. like, the old uh, PS Vita um, similar game, and uh, Tui Keaton, but never Monster Hunter, but then I picked up Monster Hunter World again for the first time in like 2020, and just suddenly was like, oh wait, no, this is fun, mm-hmm. I can get into this, and then I played a lot of Rise and have um, kind of fallen off it, which is a shame, because I used to play it a lot with uh, Laura and V, but yeah, I suddenly got it, I can't tell you what changed. Um, but if anything would have gotten me back out of it, it would have been this fucking film. I, you know, that I just feel bad for the monsters. Like, they're just doing their thing. It's hard not to. Especially when they're nearly dead and they limp off. Yeah. They limp off to go home and then you just hunt them down again and wake them up and ruin their day. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, Pokemon, at least there's this veneer. I mean, you're doing the same shit, but at least there's this veneer of, oh, well, they like it. Yeah, plus they add this degree of plausible deniability by making the Pokemon do your dirty work for you. You're making your Pokemon beat up the other Pokemon. You've not wandered in with a sword bigger than you. Right. And just smashed the (laughs) fuck out of a Gyarados with it. However, now that I've said that out loud... If they were to adapt Pokemon Legends Arceus to be a lot more like Monster Hunter, I would chase down a Gyarados with a gigantic fuck-off sword and hack it to pieces and cut its tail off and put that in a soup. Yeah, yeah, you'd do that. I would do that. I would do that with a smile and maybe a tiny boner. So Captain Alice (laughs) is listening over and over to a recorded radio transition of a Bravo team being attacked by something. Another soldier approaches, says they have a lead on something, which Alice assumes to be Bravo team, then names several other soldiers very quickly without the camera giving them any attention, so you know they're all going to be very important to the narrative. Oh yeah, crucial. I was hooked on their character arcs. Then there's this bit of dialogue. Alice says, all right, ladies, saddle up. Gendered. To which a soldier replies, she's a woman, but she still manages (gasps) to make that sound like an insult. I remember that. That's like a dark place line. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Just telling us what the character is. Uh-huh. <laughs> so pathetic. Hey, everyone. Like, you might as well have just been looking at the camera. Just, I don't know if you've got this, viewer. <laughs> but this this character, played by Mila Jovovich, who's portraying, uh, uh, by the way, uh, a military captain in our world. She's a woman, but she called us ladies. And even though she's a woman, it still looked like she was like sounded like she was putting us down because she is so confident. 
She's so confident and tough and strong and better than Jill Valentine, everyone. She's not an ordinary woman. She looks down on other women. Right? That's the move that's the the message of the Monster Hunter movie is that women are shit. <laughs> Except Mila Jovovich, apparently. Except Mila Jovovich. In many ways, <laughs> Our world's only true woman. That's the theme of Monster Hunter. God, I remember that line now. It made me sick. It made me want to eat my own teeth. There's no subtlety. And again, no. no trust in the audience to just like pick up on a character cue. They they have to explain what the writer was thinking. That's all it is. The writer could have just walked on some fucking camera and just said, right, folks, here's what all the characters are. And considering how much, like, dialogue is in this film, there are not a lot of thoughts in the heads of the writers of this movie. No. Which, you know, I mean, and we'll talk about this dynamic in a bit. There are reasons why there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. Yeah, not all movies need a lot of dialogue. You know, silent films have none. Mm -hmm. The piano has very, very little, an entirely mute main character. Right? Mad Max Fury Road is, like, possibly my favourite film. And it's not big on dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. This... This film's shit. Oh, God. Do you think they were trying to, to do Mad Max? <laughs> this is my Mad Max Fury Road. Monster Hunter. Feminist masterpiece. Look, right? <laughs> she's a woman, but she makes ladies sound like an insult. <laughs> it's up there. It's up there with who killed the world. So they drive through the desert, the camera panning to a stone carved with runes that's just sort of jutting out of the landscape. And one of the soldiers asks Alice if she knows anything about them, to which she replies, she's a ranger, not an archaeologist. Oh, thank God. I spent the rest, I spent the first like 10 minutes of this film thinking, do you think Mila Jovovich is playing an archaeologist? I'm glad that the film told me. Well, and they don't, they're, they're, I think they're making a cheeky reference to one Lara Croft. Oh, no doubt. With the archaeologist thing. This movie is full of sharp tongued writing. Right. Like just razor sharp. Like we're talking the bleeding edge here. I think definitely this film's in a position to like make side eyes at other media. If any if any movie had earned the right <laughs> to side eye other media, it would be the Monster Hunter movie that takes place in our world. The other thing about this that I find interesting is that it immediately communicates another important thing about this character and arguably maybe the writers is that they are incurious. They're just, they, they don't care. That's not what they're there to do. No. They're there to shoot. They, they're a blunt instrument. And they know that about themselves and they're comfortable in that role. The characters are there to shoot baddies and the camera crew is there to shoot them shooting baddies. Like it's, they're just there to shoot. It's like a panda in captivity. I find this aspect, this is the part of the film that I find actually most offensive is the suggestion that army rangers are incurious, dull, boring people, incapable of having a conversation that is intelligent and interesting. 
And I say this as a guy whose uncle, an army ranger, just died two weeks ago and was like the most interesting person I'd ever met. Let me tell you, young Conrad, I was in the desert and I said, come on, ladies, let's go. I wish the stories were funnier. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really do. Some of them were dark as fuck. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, shall I stop talking about uncles? <laughs> you know... <laughs> He helped instill in me, I think, a very healthy mistrust of military and government. Oh, no doubt. And he was fascinating. And every person I ever met who served as an army ranger, friends of his and others, have been interesting, smart people, capable of thinking for themselves. And this fucking movie... Well, the thing is, if you want a character like that, and you cast Mila Jovovich, you've gone wrong. You've gone wrong. You've gone off the beaten track. So we do spend a few more minutes of character establishing dialogue for these soldiers. One of them likes music. Another has reflexes. You know, deep stuff for important characters they're going to be spending the next hour and a half with. Yeah. This ends as they approach a lone sniper who looks at an oncoming storm through a scope. Tries to shoot it. <laughs> Alice helpfully mentions Bravo team also reported a storm before contact was lost. So here we go. It's all coming together, right? They get back in their vehicles to flee from this oncoming storm, and Alice puts a ring in a tin box to protect it. Oh, character development. Well, it's given as much visual weight as the other guy tagging his dog, tying his dog tags to his shoes so his body might be identified sans head. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. <laughs> <laughs> the storm catches up to the. The little markers all along the side of the road get struck with lightning. The team goes careening off a cliff edge in their vehicles, which, after a prolonged period of blue, flashy light and slow-mo, they land in that other desert we saw in the opening minutes. The team regroups, contends with the idea that they may have been flung into the middle of nowhere and their communications equipment isn't working. Alice decides they'll try to drive back to base using the sun as a guide and, I guess, a general sense of where they were? I, I don't know. But at least until they can get back in contact with base. Yeah. And then over a dune, they find the remains of Bravo team, which appear to have been burned by a fire hot enough to melt sand in the glass by an enemy that left no trace of itself. Spooky. So the soldiers are all demoralized. Yeah. They talk about the lightning and whatnot. But Alice leads them in a chant to, leaf to lift their spirits. So you see, she's a leader. Right. Right? You know, people believe and follow her example. And I had to suspend my disbelief so fucking hard. Right? To, like, even try and, and acknowledge that her low-key mumbling was inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think she's trying to, to do it as a, uh, like, a epic clap thing, you know? Where she starts out real quiet and then builds it up and to encourage other people to be quiet and build it up and make it seem dramatic. But it comes off as just kind of lame. Like, I'm sorry, could you speak up a little bit? I couldn't hear what you were saying. Oh, that's the one we're going with? Okay, fine. It's a little rough. So they're observed by who I'm going to call Bone Boy from the boat, who got thrown off earlier. Mm -hmm. And he's watching them drive to this enormous rib cage in the sand and then fires an arrow in their direction, striking one of these ribs with a burst of chalk, 
The soldiers respond by opening fire until Alice stops them, having figured out that it wasn't an attack, because it's just chalk. So there's something else going on. She's so smart. She's so much smarter than the other soldiers in the unit, you see. Right. Right. She's smart. She is more manly for whatever value that has. I guess. And carry on. (laughs) Yeah. The ground rumbles and a big thing starts coming at them from the sand. The team gets in their vehicles and start taking off. The vehicles get tossed in the air. A huge wingless dragon-like thing uh, called a Diablos, I'm told. Uh, From the games. Yeah. Like I saw it and I was like, oh, you know what? That's a Diablos. There we go. A couple soldiers get waxed. I wouldn't have known what it was a Diablos, and they don't tell me for 20 minutes or so. So in my script, it's just dragon thing for a while. <laughs> a couple soldiers get waxed uh, and down to one vehicle. There's an invocation of what I'm going to refer to as Chekhov's rocket-propelled grenade, and uh, then the vehicle gets flipped. Another ranger gets speared in a tusk, drops a, a bandolier of grenades into the face of the Diablos as he dies, and this sort of, you know, co- gives them enough time to retreat to this outcropping of rocks. Uh, but the dragon's in pursuit. Uh, Bone Boy comes to their aid, firing an explosive arrow into its head as a distraction, letting them flee into this cave where the dragon ultimately gives up on them, and night just drops. Yeah. Does it drop that fast in the games? Uh... I can't remember. <laughs> like, I, I assume there's some kind of accelerated day-night cycle that doesn't operate in real time, but... Well, yeah, I mean, if we're going by, like, any day-night cycle in a video game, night always drops sure. fast. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. The Rangers are once again freaking out a bit, but once again, Captain Alice provides inspiring leadership with a rousing call to do what soldiers do, fight and survive. Look, I would buy all this shit if they were marines, okay? Yeah, they're rangers. They're rangers. I'd buy it if they were marines or archaeologists. Sure, but but there's a significant amount of training that, you know, is required and and testing required to be an army ranger. That It's just... Are you implying that the makers of this film do not quite get what an army ranger is? And have just lumped all military under one stereotype. But also, the DOD signed off on the script, and it's still just, like, insulting. Like, how do they not look at it and not be insulted? Are you suggesting that no one cared? Now, that is that is possible. That is possible. I, I, I've watched this film. I don't remember too much. But what I do remember suggests to me that no one cared. <laughs> oh, then Captain Alice is un- unceremoniously grabbed from behind by a huge insectoid creature that stabs her in the neck. Yeah. I should also point out, right, I'm assuming this all still takes place in our world because I saw no subtitle saying otherwise. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Fuck. They should have told us. I, I-, I believe that all of this takes place in our world. (laughs) Uh, I mean, if that's that's the level of intelligence we're expected to have while watching this film. Right? I'm going to assume that the rest of this film takes place on Brighton Beach. (sighs) So the sniper shoots uh, out an eye in the insect and Captain Alice is dropped. 
leading the team to briefly attempt resuscitation before leaving her for dead as a horde of similar insects set upon them. Man, get used to these fucking insects. And despite the efforts of Bone Boy, who briefly attempts to aid before attracting his own batch of bugs and taking shelter in some hovel he's made, the soldiers are picked off one by one. Alice regains consciousness briefly and attempts to crawl, but is also whacked by a bug and everything goes black. So Alice comes to in a bathtub and she gets out of the bathtub and appears to be in some sort of uh, marble mansion type thing. Uh, she goes to a dresser and uh, finds in there a, a red dress, which she puts on. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> my thought process was, I don't remember this bit. Wait, is he? Wait, is he? Ah, <laughs> he is. <laughs> so she's inside a membranous membranous sack. Yeah. Part of me was hoping you would just from now on, like for the rest of the podcast, just do Resident Evil again. I couldn't find the old script. Oh, I think no. it's on another computer somewhere. <laughs> okay, we must trudge forth then. Oh. I'm, I'm gonna dream about what could have been though. I would have loved to have done Resident Evil again over this. Oh God, yes, right. Oh, that was that was a much more interesting film. Mm-hmm. Uh, go back and watch that. It's the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's horrifying. Uh, anyway, no, it's, uh, and actually this, the way this is done, I kind of like, cause they present it from her point of view inside the jelly sack. Yeah. And you're not really sure what's going on yet. And it's kind of gross. I've always wanted to know what the world looked like within the confines of a jelly sack, so this was very relevant to my interests. And it's it's appropriately gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it works. She just sort of pours out of it. Uh, this is effectively done uh, with some good practical. I liked it. Gave me a bonk on. Not bad. Um, she finds the rest of her team is encased in similar ones, but, you know, dead. Oh, and she's apparently in some horrible hive of these insects. So neat. Looting the bodies of her former companions for some ammo and flares, she follows a breeze and eventually finds that one of her rangers is still alive but complaining of chest pains. And she's about to take a look at it, gets distracted briefly by a big bug arriving on the scene, and dude exposes his chest to reveal boils that burst into tiny insects that begin eating him. Mm. Then a big bug just grabs him, and it's over. Damn. Like that, it it feels like they they were trying to show off with this sequence, and, and, but just moved so quickly past it that they didn't give us time to appreciate the cool thing they were trying to do. Yeah, and you know what? Normally I would criticize that, but the movie packs in so much story. I understand why they'd want to rush. Mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Alice almost manages to climb out of the hive, having set fire to a bug, but it grabs her and pulls her back. So again, we get the dropped item motif as she relinquishes the rifle bullets she took and they pop off on the bug. Outside, she's taking a breather and discovers that the bugs don't like sunlight. So she's got that going for her. She does a little moping and then spots the little tin case that she put her ring in earlier and feels better opening it to reveal it's inscribed with forever. See, 
She has a life that existed before this and things that motivate and provoke emotion in her, like a real person. Yeah. And she tells the rig she's coming home. She's home. She's in our world. She cauterizes her wounds with gunpowder extracted (laughs) from bullets ignited with striking rocks. I don't even know where to begin. All the while looking at the camera saying, I'm a tough and resourceful character. My uncle, the, the army ranger, did once say to me, give me two hen turds and a match head, I'll kill three men. <laughs> and I believed him when he said that. So maybe this is possible, <laughs> but I'm, uh, it seems unlikely. Where they got inaccurate in the movie is they didn't use hen turds. <laughs> in fact... Has anything in a movie used a hen turd as a practical tool? I, I don't think so. And I, 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 he never explained the process by which he would kill three men with a hen turd, two hen turds and a match head. I like to believe it's anecdotal. I like to believe three hen turds, which is specific, has been used to kill a man. Three hen turds and a match head. <sighs> so she wanders a bit. Winding up at the place Bone Boy had first observed her convoy from. Now, what happens next? I, it doesn't. I'm conf, I, I'm conflicted about it. All right. She walks up here and finds a neat, clearly intentional pile of stones, of largely flat stones that form, you know, like a marker. Of some kind. Yeah. Or, or maybe a monument of some kind. And this part makes sense in that she just picks one up off the top of it and throws it. It's the why and the result and how it relates to the why that I have a problem with. That, or that confuses me, that I'm struggling. Because she throws this rock out there and the emotion on her, her face reads, I am frustrated. I'm back at the Jeep where I began, and I'm remembering maybe my dead comrades, or how do I get home, or whatever. And she throws the rock out there. And the rock landing on the surface of the sand attracts the Diablos, who rises up and roars. And yet, her reaction to this is almost as if that was her expectation. Like, this was a test. Like, she knew it was possible that throwing the rock on the sand would alert the Diablos because she knew it was the vibrations on the surface of the ground that had alerted it the first time. Right. They forgot halfway through filming the scene why she threw the rock. It's such a sequence. Either that or in-universe, she wanted to look like she did something so silly on purpose in case anyone was watching. And, you know, not to mention... The stack of rocks could have been someone's fucking grave. Right? Or a marker. Like, those are, like, in mountain trails, there are people that leave those things as markers, and the rule is, like, like you know, the etiquette of, of travel is don't fuck with them. And she's an army ranger. She would know this. Right? I, <laughs> Petty vandalism. That's what it is. It's what it is. It's what it is. Uh, anyway, she's pretty fucked. Because, you know, big thing in front of her, insects behind her that are going to come out at night. Wandering a canyon under the watchful eye of Bone Boy, she finds a graveyard of wrecked sailing ships. And while she's exploring one, the Bone Boy chooses this time to put a knife to her throat. And fighting happens. She's captured, bound, and 
driven to his hideout, uh, by me, by which I mean he force marches her to his hideout, uh, where she at one point trips and secrets a rock for herself. Of course. You know. And inside he drinks some water and did not, doesn't offer really any to her and eats some moss off his knife while the insects are scratching around outside. And, and, and she's, you know, cutting her bindings when, you know, he's not looking. He makes some kind of healing salve for his wounds and does a little prayer um, in front of a couple of little figurines he's got. And then in the morning, Bone Boy does a bit of a lookout and the tables get turned because she's loose. And she, ca- you know, they do another fighting and now he's captured. And so she mocks him and his culture by breaking his little prayer setup. Yeah, and I'm not saying that this is indicative of anything to do with the United States military turning up to someone else's um, country and, and homes and ransacking and destroying stuff in front of them. And just having absolutely no respect for the culture or what it might mean. No respect for the culture, no respect for, um, you know, the history of the place and the people and what they believe in. Just ab- abject mockery and destruction. I'm not saying that that's reflective of the United States military, but I, I am saying that. But it is worth knowing, noting that the DOD would have signed off on the script. Oh, yeah, would have said, yeah, this checks out. <laughs> this is this is a funny scene in the film. It's heartwarming. That's what the DOD think of this, this scene. It's heartwarming. Brings them back. More fighting happens uh, until they come tumbling out of the hideout and Bone Boy nearly falls into the insect hive. The Captain Alice saves him and seemingly realizing that they have more in common than they do with their enemies, the monsters, cuts Bone Boy loose before offering some chocolate to him. He has the appropriate reaction to smelling Hershey's chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just like, oh, what the fuck is this? (laughs) But he does eagerly gobble it up once he's shown it is actual food. And and in return, he gives her a, a water skin and then marches off and she goes following after. At the edge of the sand where the Diablos is, Bone Boy gestures to the lightning, but communicate that the Diablos is also a threat, and they attempt to devise a plan together in their limited methods of communication, uh, which ultimately becomes using Alice as bait for the insects so that they can use it, the insect's poison on the Diablo to put it to sleep. Uh, so they do that, uh, she sings again, doing her chant, all scared and, you know, waiting for the insects to come as night falls. Uh, feels like it takes a long time. And then an insect shows up and Boom Boy uses his big knife and lops off a claw and then they flee the coming horde. And then that night they bond over his discovery of Velcro and her discovery that, hey, maybe this guy's a human being with a family and shit too. Huh. Huh. Then the next morning, they affix the po- insect's poison barb to an arrow, and Bone Boy teaches Alice how to use all his world's weapons, which she doesn't really have to, because she's automatically awesome. Like, she immediately figures out how to use the little arm-mounty crossbow mm-hmm. thing with the grapple hook that she's got, um, the swords thing. You know, she already knows all the moves with swords, except, you know, she's sort of taken aback by the fact that they're magic, but that's just, you know, who wouldn't be, Right. Who wouldn't be surprised that the swords that they're carrying ignite in flames when they, you hold them up over your heads? Makes sense to me. Sure. 
Uh, but she gets it first time, you know. And after that, no sweat with the fire. <sighs> Setting up a distraction to lure the Diablo, they then flee from it across the sand toward her jeep. But don't quite make it and have to split up and fight the thing. Uh, Bone Boy gets into trouble because he dropped the figurines of his family and has to go back to grab it. But he rallies in time to shoot the Diablos in the eye with the poison arrow. Then Alice comes in with the minigun attached to the overturned jeep and firing a whole bunch of rounds. And then when that runs out of ammo, picks up Chekhov's RPG, fires that. And then Bone Boy drives its sword into his skull. But it takes a real warrior, that being Captain Alice, to actually finish the job. Oorah! Bone Boy's unconscious and unwilling to leave him behind because we don't leave them behind. Alice pulls a piece of the Diablo's flesh off to serve as a sled to drag him across the desert. <laughs> I gotta say, that's kind of hardcore. Captain Alice, come on. Uh, you know, I would question how they would come to this conclusion, but it's too badass. I'm just going to let them have this one. Alice earned being that. There's a windstorm. She makes a tent with a blanket, sort of, and tries to resuscitate Bone Boy with her medic kit, and then wakes up with the storm cleared, but both of them buried under sand. She does the whole hand coming out of the sand thing. Then he wakes up, all pissed, snatches his family tokens from her and storms off. They then reach an oasis that's got these turtley guys that eat grass that are kind of cool looking. And she asks about, you know, if the water's safe, and Bone Boy gestures to it, indicating that it, it is, only for a hard fish creature to leap at her when she moves closer. Bone Boy kills it and laughs at her, calling her bait. Aww, they're having fun together. And then they cook food over a spit and share some hooch that he's got in a flask. And at night, another creature spooks the turtley guys into a stampede. And things look scary. But then Ron Perlman appears. And I'm like, where the fuck did Rod Pearl come from? <laughs> he manifests, as is his want, as is his whim, as is his right, and as is our delight. The boat boy gets uh, nearly run off a cliff by the stampeding turtley guys. Uh, but gets saved by one of the other people that was on the boat from the beginning. And then once the danger of the stampede is passed, Alice thanks Rod Perlman. And he says, don't thank me yet. It punches her in the face, and she blacks out again. How many concussions has Alice gotten over the course of this exercise? Enough to think her singing is good. My gosh. Unbelievable. She wakes up locked in a cell. I can't remember if they do the fuzzy camera, you know, like, uh, bleary eye thing here, but I think I think they do. I mean, that's got to be concussion territory. Yeah. She's gawked at by the crew of Ron Perlman's ship. And when she tries to communicate how unjust her position is to Bone Boy, he can't look her in the eye. But uh, once she's left alone, she times the strikes of a bench to the sound of a nearby bell to break the lock on a trapped door in the bottom of her cell. This is a strangely designed cell and escapes into the hold of the ship. Uh, there she finds a mess and is moving to claim a butcher's cleaver only to be startled by a cat chef who is apparently awesome at cooking. Right. This is the best part of the movie. Yep, it's the best part of the movie, and it's lifted directly from the games. It's the only bit that is, and it's the only bit of the film that's good. Go figure. I love this cat. This cat fucking rules. Hell yeah. Fantastic. 
Homeboy finds her here, brings her back to Ron Perlman, who releases her, saying he's been told he was wrong about her, indicating that his initial mistrust extends to everyone from our world, owing to some earlier incursion a long time prior. Wait a minute, that... They're in our world. I'm, I'm just as confused as you are, Steph. Right? Very confused by this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The film told us this all took place in our world. Help! This would explain his mastery of English, which he suggests required some kind of specialized study. Uh, he thinks the explanation for why Alice is in his world has to do with a big tower from an old advanced civilization that used to use it to pass between the worlds. Now, his crew was on his way to investigate it when they were attacked at the beginning of the movie. And now he's ready to move on, but they'll have to deal with a Rathalos guarding the tower, which is the same thing what spooked the turtley guys earlier. And delighting us all, it's an another Monster Hunter monster oh. at fucking last, instead of the Diablos and some spiders. Are the, the turtle things not from... Oh, yeah, there are turtle things, yeah. What about the fish monster? I... Yeah, whatever. I was checking. I just wanted to be sure because I have no... I've forgotten all the things you said like a minute after they were said. Well, so did the writers, probably. Yeah. So the Rathalos is only weak right before they breathe fire. This This is their weakness. They're only weak before they breathe fire. Now, he offers to help her get home if she helps kill the Rathalos. And then Ron Perlman eats a chicken drumstick. <laughs> it's great, it was great to see that again. Why isn't this the film? I would watch two hours of Ron Perlman just eating chicken. Yep. Yep. It was one of the high points of In the Name of the King. Yeah. God, I love watching Ron Perlman eat chicken. It's amazing. So in the morning, Ron Perlman's leading the away mission to the tower. And as everyone's departing the ship, the cat chef winks at Alice and she is into it. And you know how I know that she is into it? Yeah. Right? She looks back, she does a little smile and a giggle, right? And the inscribed ring in a tin in her pocket, I don't think ever comes up again (laughs) in the entire fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They walk for a long fucking time up a mountain, fully a minute of film time, reaching the base of the tower, which is oozing lava. That gets explained away as the tower's power source, and there's little unstable portals to our world that are appearing here. You mean the portals to their world? Yeah, but it looks like our world. The desert sands are different in the two places. It's hard to tell what's going on here. Finding broken glass on the walk, it's a sign of the Rathalos. Uh, so presumably it was the Rathalos that killed Bravo Team also, not the Diablos. Good to know. And we are reminded by Ron Perlman that its only weakness is before it breathes fire. In case we fell asleep or our minds were numbed in the prior, like, four minutes of this film. Sorry, my- That's a pupper. A dog has decided not only to bark in the background, but to walk up to me, look at the microphone, <laughs> and bark directly into it. Amazing. That's got to be a first for podcast pet interruptions. <laughs> not even Jonathan's dog no. would have done that. No, she literally barked into the microphone. Amazing. Right? Sorry, Aww. carry on. 
What a sweetie. She's very easily bothered by things outside. So the Rathalos attacks, burns a dude. Uh, it's going to torch Alice and Bone Boy, but Ron Perlman steps in and fighting happens, which is like CG effects hitting a CG monster while, you know, people perform moves with weapons. Yeah, fighting happens. It's, it's not even compelling fighting. No, it's just no, no. kind of meh. Uh, Alice does probably some of the same fight moves she used in Resident Evil, actually. And members of another team that we spent no time with and learned nothing about get killed one after another. So, uh, it truly is a mirror world. <laughs> Alice is thrown off a cliff into a convenient portal back to our world. And she wakes up as a helicopter lands to retrieve her. Surprised to discover who she is and noting her odd attire. Uh, we're doing the... You know, fady camera in cutting time thing indicating that the concussions are, the concussions are really getting to be a fucking problem for Alice by now. <laughs> they ask about the rest of Alpha team. She shakes her head and then a storm forms in front of the helicopter she's in and the Rathalos comes through biting the front of the copter off, which crashes to the ground with Alice strapped to a gurney inside. Military ground forces attack the Rathalos and are obliterated. Alice struggles to find her feet in the ruined copter. She's fine, except for a ringing in her head. <laughs> as we're visually showed the Rathalos weakness a third time. Mate, I'd forgotten. We'd all forgotten. We get it. It's a week before it breathes fire. It's week before it does what? Breathes fire. And before it breathes fire, it's what? Weak. Oh, okay. Thanks. Sorry, <laughs> just like taking I a couple am. of bugs to the noggin, so I needed a refresher. <laughs> Fucking she out. looks for a weapon while the Rathalos opens up a tank like a tin of sardines and eats one of the drivers, and then barbecues two gunships before going after the air command vessel, pretty much just leaving Alice to face it down. <laughs> like, it's just her. Yeah. It saved her for less. <laughs> 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 it went up the hierarchy. It destroyed all of the little, like, ground Humvees, then it moved up to tanks, then it moved up to gunships, then it moved up to command ship, and then, you know, obviously, the next thing on the hierarchy... The most dangerous thing on the menu, <laughs> Mila Jovovich. <laughs> she runs at the Rathalos, grapple hooks to its wing, and then damages it on the way down. And then ignites one of the ammo rounds she's found and fires it with her arm, crossbow, whatever thing into its mouth at just the right time. And it explodes. The Rathalosa collapses to the ground and she's all triumphant until it gets back up and starts advancing on her. And she like falls into a quivering pile of despair. Only for Bone Boy to appear and fill it with explosive arrows until it blows up and falls dead. Uh, yeah. They greet each other, and then Ron Perlman shows up. <laughs> and the storm rolls in, and there's another big fuck off monster coming from it. And Alice says they've got to get to the Sky Tower, and Ron Perlman says they've got to survive this other monster that's just appeared. And they charge into battle at credits. Because <laughs> the film just stops. You've had your fill. That's enough Monster Hunter for you. You'll spoil your dinner. That's the that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, Conrad. It, I, I, I... Yeah? There isn't a post-credits scene. No, no, no. Heavens, no. You saw Ron Perlman eating chicken. Do you need anything else? I'm going to double check because I didn't actually watch the credits. You think some content might be buried? Oh, okay. Hang on. Hang on. I'm watching this real time now. We're back at the base of the tower. The thing that they were fighting has warped back in at the base of the tower, and they all seem to be around. Oh, and there's a hooded figure standing at the top looking down on it. Oh, and it's the cat guy fighting the, uh, fighting the thing. It, it, yeah. That's, that's the end. Okay. So, no, still nothing. Yeah. No resolution? No character arcs? No, the story just, like, literally continues without an ending. Like, is is the character arc for Captain Alice that she discovered that someone from another world could also be human? I mean, it's a classic, almost trope narrative, isn't it? <laughs> I, think- I think the arc is... No, I haven't even got anything sarcastic. I can't be fucked, Conrad. Nothing is resolved. No. Anywhere. It's a sequence of events. That's what this film is. There's no beginning, middle, end. There's no character arc. There's no plot development. It is a series of things. Not even interesting things. No. Just things. I was saying before uh, we started recording, you know, just to give a little peek behind the curtain into my process, I will watch the movie the first time, then the second time I will watch it to write the script. And oftentimes, because I have a general vague sense of what's happening and can just sort of jot notes as I go pretty quickly, I will watch that second viewing at double speed just to save time. And I was able to do this and not write notes for extended periods of time and never have to slow it down to make sure I got something right or confirm anything. I mean, I cleared easily 40 minutes of this film without having to pause Yeah, to think about what was happening. And let's face it, it's a mercy. Yeah. A blessing. It really is. It's (sighs) just... It's just a dire film. I'm glad I didn't watch it again because I genuinely don't think I needed to. No, you absolutely didn't. You really remembered all the key points. Yeah. I was kind of impressed. Thank you. But it's, you know, nothing else stands out from it. It's more indictment of the film than, you know, merit to me. Well, perhaps. Let me take a look here. Let me see. Uh, Get some some stats on this. Because I cared so little about this movie from beginning to end that I, I haven't even tried to research it at all. Okay, so it was made for $60 million. This film cost $60 million to produce. Uh-huh. That is horrifying. Yeah. Though I will say that the monsters look good. You know, the digital effects, they look good. They're not used to any good effect. That's the thing, yeah. But money was... Money was spent on them. Effort was put into to making them look like things. But I'd take a worse-looking movie that was entertaining every time. Absolutely. Yeah. The cat is very good. Yeah. I'd like to think a lot of the money went into the cat. You know what a lot of money didn't go into? The box office. No. Now, obviously, this is a, you know, a pandemic film. So you you know you're that's going to be a, a a problem yeah for box office calculations 
Uh, it came in at forty-four million, so three quarters of its budget, um, which leads me to the hope that it will not receive a sequel. I hope not. There's no suggestion that there's a sequel coming. It did fifteen point one million in the United States and Canada, twenty-nine million in other territories. It was projected to do about three million on its opening weekend, and did. $800,000 opening second behind The Crude's A New Age. So that's good. <laughs> Love that. This was the film that had that dumb controversy over the uh, joke about um, knees, if you recall. I don't. Oh, the film released in China, December 2024, and caused an uproar. Because one of the characters, one of the soldiers says, uh, look at my knees. What kind of knees are these? Chinese. Oh. And he is a, a Chinese American soldier. Right. See. And, uh, the Chinese viewers interpret this as a, you know, of, uh, of, uh, reference to a racist playground chant. Right. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, boy. Ties into a whole lot of stuff in this movie and the military and chance and racism. And uh, they removed it <laughs> before it was re-released um, worldwide. Uh, so there was that thing that happened. Uh, there's also, there is a, a quote that Anderson made about a possible sequel. Now, this was a month before the film released and seemingly bombed. And hopefully there will be no, no further discussion. But he said, quote, there are hundreds of monsters. I can only use five or six of them in the movie. So it's a big, fun world that I think we've only started to scratch the surface of. Yeah, let's leave it at a scratch. No shit. No digging needed. Put the chisel away, dicks. <laughs> God's sake. Now, here's the dark side of this. Jovovich added, Definitely, we would love to make another one. Hopefully people are going to love it, because I know Paul would love to make a sequel. Oh, can't he just put his wife in something else? He's already writing something. No. So, who knows? I mean, it, it could have been done that weekend. Yeah. When she said he'd started writing something. <laughs> uh, I don't think we're going to get another Monster Hunter I pray we don't. No, it's a waste of money and time and no one likes it and it's shit. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I don't think it does anything to promote Monster Hunter. No. I think it doesn't do anything for Capcom brand-wise uh, outside of just having a thing named Monster Hunter to remind people that Monster Hunter's there so that maybe they'll go back and play the most recent Monster Hunter game and not watch this movie. But I think if, if, if somebody who had been a, like a lapsed fan came and watched this and thought, oh, God, is this the direction the series has gone? I, I, mean, I think there's a risk people lose interests. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But then, then again, Capcom let them make, what, six of those fucking Resident Evil films? Of course, of course, those all made money. Those were fucking massive. All of those made money. We're not getting six Monster Hunter movies. We're just not. This did not do Monster Hunter money. 
sorry, Resident Evil money. This did Monster Hunter money, yeah. which was no money. No money. Let's not with it. Like Monster Hunter to begin with does not have the IP strength to sell movies like Resident Evil does. I, I love Monster Hunter as a series, but looking back, this was not going to take off. No. It serves nobody except not even Anderson, actually. He could put his wife in anything. And for context, Resident Evil was made at a budget of $33 million. Now, this was 2002 money, so, you know, all right. So you, you say maybe it's, it, it is made for... 10 million less, right? And I think that's probably an exaggeration. But in the context of budget films for the time, sure. It still pulled in 100 million in the box office. Like, this is, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way. That movie came in pulling in three times its budget. This got three-fourths. I, I think he's been allowed to keep making these on, on the strength of the fact that they always made a profit, and this didn't, and thank God. Yeah, genuinely, thank God. This has been a bleak, bleak time today. Yeah, I'm glad I slept most of today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go back to Elden Ring, I reckon. Yeah. So after discussing how glad you are that we'll never see another one. Yeah. Did you like Monster Hunter no. or not? No. 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 It's trash. No, it was it's trash. It's trash. It's boring trash. Puerile filth. Poison for the brain. It's just so boring. It's just so fucking interminably dull, and I'm glad we're done. And that's that. Hey. Yeah. Speaking of things that I might be over before we even start, I was thinking next time maybe uh, maybe we'd watch Free Guy. Ooh. This is the Ryan Reynolds film about someone who realises they're an NPC in a video game, if I remember. That is the very same. Free guy. You know what? Into it. Let's do it. All right. So next year. To next year. <laughs> next We will try not to make it a, a, this yeah, month no, late no, again. No. Yeah. Um, so next time on the spin-off Doctors, we will do Free Guy. And until then, I'm going to go back to Elden Ring and pr- instantly forget that this film ever existed. Yeah, yeah. Like I have been doing... And the only time I've ever remembered this movie exists is every Wednesday for the past few months where Conrad has said, spin-off Doctor's coming soon. (laughs) 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 Okay, well, next spin-off Doctor's coming to you soon, and we will see you next time. Uh, Conrad, anything you'd like to plug, share with the audience? Um... Just follow me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman uh, or by Anti-Capitalist Propaganda at PinfulTruth.com or just buy merch from Steph at the Gymporium. TheGymporium.com. There's all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that'll do. Uh, Yeah. Uh, See you next time, everyone. Bye. Bye.